Welcome to a new space dedicated to biculturalism. A space to gather conversations, resources, and perspectives for everyone who wants to delve into the world of dual identity. I'm Natanya Hoffman, and you're listening to The Extra Half. Hi, everyone. It's great to have you back for episode four. This week, we decided to try something a little different. After three virtually recorded episodes, we finally had the opportunity for an in-person, albeit socially distanced, interview. We decided to enjoy the beautiful day, the fresh air, and the sunlight, which of course comes with the occasional bell ringing, bird chirping, and neighbor talking. We hope you don't mind. Our guest for this episode is Alia Vodovozova, a wonderful flutist whose heritage is Tatar and Ukrainian. She has an active career across the globe, and is a member of the Pacific Quintet. Additionally, during this COVID time, she's been a regular guest of Daniel Hope's new project, Hope at Home, a series of wonderful streamed concerts that you can find on Arte TV and streamed online. So welcome to our garden. Hi, Alia. Hello. When people ask you where you're from, what's the short answer? What's the long answer? And what do you usually tell people? Oh, it's always very difficult, actually. Well, short answer depends so much somehow on my mood, I would say. <laughs> and uh, often I give different answers because actually I cannot consider myself for one nationality. And to be clear, I was born in Ukraine and uh, I have Tatar roots. My mother is Tatar. And um, then I moved to Turkey and I spent uh, all my childhood and... Uh, almost also teenager years in Turkey and I grew up in a city called Eskişehir and it's uh, quite close to Ankara um, where my mother actually teaches in this uh, city called Eskişehir in the Anatolian University. It's actually a very very nice place, it's a very young city in Turkey, one of the modern cities and my favorite city in Turkey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I was uh, in Moscow I went there to study because my mom thought it would be very good for the musical education and um, so I spent quite a lot of years in Moscow. I studied in Gnesin Music School and then uh, in Tchaikovsky Conservatory uh, and then I was uh, for a while in Paris and now here we are in Germany, in Berlin. So basically what I answer is, I say, the easiest answer I say Tatar but most of the people, well, happens that they don't know. And uh, I answer, I come from Turkey or from Russia or from Ukraine. It really depends on, on, the, on that moment, on the mood. Ah. <laughs> so this is the long version. <laughs> wow. And is your whole family Tatar, actually? No. Uh, my mother is Tatar and uh, my father is, uh, he was Ukrainian. But I always uh, kind of consider myself also Tatar uh, because I grew up with my grandma and grandpa. I was in Ukraine and they always spoke Tatar language, which is actually quite similar to Turkish. Uh, unfortunately, I cannot speak Tatar uh, language, but I do understand a lot. And also I've been a lot of times in uh, Tatarstan. It's a republic in Russia. And um, in Turkey also, in my city, in Eskishir, it's a lot of Tatars, but there are different um, types. So the ones which in my city, in Eskishir, they are Crimean Tatars. Oh. And there are also uh, the ones who live in Ukraine. It's, um, it's quite different. And which languages did you actually grow up speaking then at home? So uh, I heard a lot of Tatar language when I was really small. And then when I moved to Turkey, it was... Uh, 
all the time Turkish, but I had my mother language, I always called this mama language because she always spoke to me Russian ah. and she never switched because so I don't get confused. Yeah. And uh, for me it was, uh, I couldn't understand the difference why I speak different language with my mom. There are some different way of communication rather than in the, in the kindergarten or like elementary school. I was speaking Turkish, but for me it always stayed like my Mama language, mm. mother language. So it was Russian and uh, Turkish, the languages I grew up. Yeah, and I'm curious, since you spoke Russian with your mother, when you actually then went to study in Moscow, did you find that the Russian you were speaking was a little bit different from the Russian spoken in Moscow? Well, uh, I wouldn't say my Russian was great when I moved to Moscow. Well, I could speak, obviously, and um, but it was still quite simple way of communication because it was just based with communication with my mother and uh, all the other time I always spoke Turkish and it was even difficult to write Cyrillic because mm. I was so used to write with the Latin and um, first year when I was in Moscow it was really difficult I had even moment when I just started the school it was like I was uh, 12 or 13 and we had a lesson where uh, it was one of the first lessons where I had to write Cyrillic and I, I basically couldn't manage because it was too fast so I was writing all the time everything with the uh, Latin um, letters exactly <laughs> and uh, the teacher was quite shocked to see my <laughs> notebook but then uh, you know when you're a kid it's kind of um, you get used to very very fast and um, that was the, basically the difficult moment but then also I start to speak all the time just Russian. It was a bit difficult for me because it was completely new country and uh, new mentality, new culture and a huge city because the city I, I grew up in Turkey, it's quite small and Moscow it's huge, it's like, a, it's like a, another country and that was quite tough for me the first years but then I got used to quite fast and the language uh, also became for me very um, very close to me and uh, I could say that I really like speaking Russian I find it has so many different nuances and different words and uh, so many synonyms and the way you can express yourself is much more rich and uh, um, for me it's really deep uh, and touching language yeah I am curious about one thing when you maybe would send a text message to your mom when you were younger would that then always be in the Latin letters or yes and has that changed or no it does yes. <laughs> now I, I just write uh, Cyrillic if I need to speak <laughs> Russian yes yeah, but uh, definitely particularly first um, first years when I was in Moscow there were these old phones where the Cyrillic like almost never exists so even people in Russia they were texting with the Latin oh. Yeah, exactly. So the SMSs were with the Latin letters. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> wow. But now, no. <laughs> now, Cyrillic. Wow. And um, talking about your family, how how is it that your mother ended up in Ukraine? Like, could you tell me a little bit about your family history? Yes. Uh, so my mother, she she's a pianist. She studied. Uh, she was born in Ukraine and she studied there uh, first in Donetsk, and she was she finished university in Kiev. And uh, by it was just a uh, very spontaneous uh, that uh, she moved to Turkey because she had a concert uh, in 1991, and then she got um, two invitations to teach there to the university. The first one was in Ankara Hacettepe University, and the second was the Eskişehir 
Anatolian University and she decided to go to, to Anatolian University. And this is actually how it happened. She never thought to go to Turkey. It was just very spontaneous. It was the year when I was born. So she started to work and then she took me to Turkey. And this is how we ended up to Turkey. Basically, I don't have the Turkish blood, but I always also consider myself as a Turkish because it's the place where I really grow up and my first, uh, in a way, language, the proper language I could speak and communicate was Turkish. Of course, I was speaking with mom Russian, but Turkish was really... Uh, first language when I start to communicate with the other people yeah hallelujah <laughs> <laughs> oh it's 12 too let's have a drink <laughs> we do live next to a church so this is what happens at noon every day moving on in the conversation and so when your mom moved to Turkey yeah was your dad with her at that time well, um, my mom, she moved alone because my dad died and um, I actually um, had never chance to meet him. So basically my mother was a uh, dad for me and mother for me and best friend for me and she's still. Mm. And um, we have really strong connection with her. And uh, um, yes, she, 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 was, she is everything for me. Oh wow, I had no idea. Something that's really interesting for me, um, in the third episode we talked to a brother and sister where Ellen was actually born in Azerbaijan and then David was born 13 years later in the United States. And it was really interesting thinking about how in that situation culture played such a big role. Mm -hmm. And David at one point said he just actually identifies as a Midwesterner, okay. even though his family is um, Lizgin and Armenian and Azerbaijani. <laughs> but he feels like a Midwesterner. <laughs> and so Crazy. in a similar way, you feel like a Turkish person, as one of many things you are. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I, I would say I feel, um, from all the countries I lived, I, I feel uh, that they're my home. Like, I would say, also even Germany started to be my home. Like, I feel like when I come back to Berlin, it's the place I am, it's like home. Also, Turkey, same for Russia, same from Ukraine. Uh, particularly Ukrainian because my, my beloved grandpa lives there still and for mm. me it's my childhood. Turkey is my teenager years and same mm. for Moscow and and now uh, Germany started to feel like also in a way home for me, yeah. particularly Berlin. And I'm quite lucky because it's very international so I never felt really really foreign here. So um, yeah, it's difficult for me to consider myself just for one country. And speaking of diversity, did you feel in Turkey like you were different from a lot of other people? Or is there a good amount of people who also had really intricate heritages, if you will? Mm, well, in the city I was, um, I grew up, there were not so many foreign people. And uh, I was the only kid in the school, also in elementary school, in the, then later on also in the college. I was the only one foreign, let's say. But um, no, I never felt kind of, um, I always felt that I'm also from Turkey and I was always feeling comfortable in the class or for me, the thing just was the communication with my mother. It was just another language, but in all the other ways, I always felt very comfortable. And what is the visa situation like for you now? I think maybe a lot of people don't realize that if you don't have an EU passport, it's not so easy to be in Berlin right now. Yes, definitely. It's a um, quite tough situation with the visa always for the foreign people and um, 
it's very strict with the visa as well. I was here with my student visa and actually I still continue with my quintet studying. I have a, a wonderful quintet and we started to study chamber music also in Berlin in, in uh, Hans Eisler. And um, this is the situation with the visa now, with the student visa, but obviously to get uh, another permission to stay here, like there are some artist visas or like uh, any other type of visa, it's very very difficult and um, and it's, um, it's so many people know how what does it mean to to go to Ausländerbehörde. This is this word is quite quite uh, creepy for the ears of every foreign people. I'm sure. So um, yeah, that's why of course it's quite difficult to do it, but. Um, also, I find that Germany is very loyal, and they are um, always trying to to check who is who and what were the reason of the visa and everything. So somehow, um, mostly people who I know, they always get the visa. Uh, it's a uh, difficult uh, and long and uh, a lot of paperwork. So basically, you have to really keep everything that you have, and uh, it has to be all the time everything written on the paper and you should always uh, prove it so it has to be all the thing official anything you play anywhere you go or any even audition you do you could uh, make about it uh, the document of it so it's quite important to to keep them to to get a visa afterwards yeah for me it was interesting in this corona time I used a lot of the extra time that I had actually to do things like finally getting a German driver's license. Oh, yeah, I, I started also. Congratulations. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. But for me, it was actually just a mess of paperwork because I had the American yes. one and I needed to go to different offices, call, make appointments. And and so, and it, it's interesting. I think that definitely something that maybe people don't realize is that when you come from multiple cultures, you are responsible for a lot a of lot, bureaucracy, yes. a indeed, lot of paperwork. Indeed. Absolutely. I mean, just thinking about taxes, like as an American citizen, yeah. I always need to file American taxes. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, if you have a child that's going to be American, that's going to happen to them. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. indeed. So. And could you tell me a little bit about Tatarstan? So the really great thing about Tatarstan and capital is Kazan, Kazan city. So uh, they have a, we have a Kremlin, which is in Moscow red and there is white. And what is wonderful about it, uh, Tatars are Muslim, but in this Kremlin there is a church and also mosque and they are just in front of each other. Wow. And uh, they are so loyal to each other. All the time, all the Christians always celebrate also together the Muslim um, holidays and uh, they are living so wonderfully together and it's such a big symbol how to manage to live, like to completely do different different um, religions and how great they could combine it and live so friendly and um, for me Kazan it's really symbol of this I never ever saw in my life a place like this Wow! so great in Kremlin and they're just in front of each other next to the president's um, place where he works they're just like close to each other so let me just ask you about your own religion and perhaps the religion or religions that are part of your family. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Uh, sure. Uh, well, uh, as I said, Tatars, they are Muslim and um, I grew up also in a Muslim country. But um, what I really like to, to be very loyal and be not really extreme about religion. And for me, it's important to celebrate all the 
uh, Christian also holidays when, when I was in Moscow or when I was in Turkey I could also uh, celebrate all the Muslim traditional holidays and um, I never felt different and I obviously believe that there's some power in a way but I wouldn't say that I am very religious person but when I get question which religion I am I always answer Muslim because um, because of my mom part and because I grown up with my mother and my grandpa and my grand grandpa he was even um, a mullah in mosque wow. but um, all my family is very very open-minded and religion was uh, never uh, such a big impact in the family but it was always part of it mm. yeah do you feel a connection with very conservative Muslim people especially women who are dressed in very conservative and traditional clothing is that something that you would identify with or or not and how does that look well, the thing is, I, as I said before, I grew up in a city called Eskisehir and my mom was always in the university working and we were even at some point living inside of the university and we never could see any people covered and for, for me it's quite sad to go back and see that many universities and uh, I mean I am absolutely okay also with the covered people, it's a choice of everyone but it's quite a shame that it's getting more and more and more and more people I completely understand and I, I also see that in a lot of different parts of society there's kind of this wanting to pull the brakes and come back to where we were 200 years ago. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Turkey was very modern country. It is still modern but particularly after the time of the Atatürk it was extremely modern and um, um, for me it's a bit sad to see that it's going sometimes in a different direction particularly when I come back just once or twice a year I could really see the changes because my mom is all the time there so she cannot realize it but me coming back and you know I can uh, compare yeah so absolutely it's quite sad well going back to yourself and your own self-perception when you do travel and as obviously as a musician you travel a lot also just because of that and because of your different cultural backgrounds, do you feel like you yourself change in any way, depending on which language you're speaking, with which people you are, and which culture you're in? Yes, definitely. I think that uh, we all change uh, with the time. Well, there are some base which always stays with us, but of course, uh, being in another country, in another culture, and it has always an impact on us. And I can definitely say that, uh, of course, I change in this period when I moved to another country, when I had to learn another language. It's, it's always a new uh, window in my head. So. I can definitely say that I changed a lot. And in Berlin, do you identify either symbolically or actually through community with either the Turkish or Russian communities? Do you actually um, participate in certain kinds of traditions? Um, no, I wouldn't say I participate uh, a lot, um, fortunately or unfortunately. I, I cannot say. Of course, I uh, participate in some events of the um, embassy, Russian oh, yeah. embassy, and they were very supportive also. We had a celebration of the Tchaikovsky concert very few years ago. It was a jubileum year of the conservatory and um, also we organized concerts in the Russian embassy. And um, But funnily, uh, talking about Turkish uh, community, maybe let's say 
uh, also about embassy I when I was in Japan two years ago in 2018 I got such a big and warm welcome from the Turkish embassy and it stays still in my mind and it was such a warm welcome and they I had a little concert and it was um, they treated me as if I was their daughter very warm and funny the ambassador and his wife they were from Eskişehir the, the city where I grew up so that was really strong connection for me that uh, that year it was few days I spent in Tokyo mm. and um, there I really felt some warm and good connection <laughs> that's wow yeah nice and even Tatar people came there they invited wow. because they knew my roots and that was very nice to meet some Tatar people also uh, suddenly in Tokyo wow yes <laughs> And what about some advantages or disadvantages? I, I know that you probably, like a lot of musicians in Berlin today, we feel more like we are living in an international community than any specific community. But as you go about your life, do you feel like there are concrete advantages that you had from speaking more than one language and having access to more than one culture? Definitely. Uh, I felt very comfortable in Berlin because I could speak very often Turkish, <laughs> I never <laughs> felt alone with Turkish and also same with Russian yeah. um, it's a funny thing but when my mom came to visit me here well she does speak English but I wouldn't say it's uh, amazing <laughs> she does but um, she was so surprised when she arrived home she was like Hiya, everyone speak Turkish <laughs> everyone understands me <laughs> so for her it's it was such a happy moment that she could communicate but um, yeah for me as well I um, I have a lot of um, people who I speak Turkish here and Russian also so it's a big plus, I think. Mm. I feel very good with that. Any disadvantages? Any moments that you felt unwell or uncomfortable because of who you are? Yes, of course. There are some moments when they think I cannot understand them. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not true. I understand everything. So, uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, well, it happened, I think, in taxi or something. Yeah, the driver was speaking and then suddenly I replied to him in Turkish and he, was, he had a not-so-nice moment. You know? <laughs> Well, it happened a few times, yeah, yeah, but but it happened to me also in Turkey because I I wouldn't say I look very Turkish, yeah. and uh, particularly in the parts where the tourists, it can happen that uh, sometimes they think I am foreign, and then suddenly the Turkish answer comes. <laughs> yeah. One of the great things about having guests who are also musicians is that we can always take a little break and listen to some of their playing. So here's Sari Gelin. Blonde Mountain Bride, in the arrangement of Alexei Igudisman, performed by Alia and Daniel Hope.
let's talk a little bit about career. Um, first of all, just the, the basic piece, um, does your, did your identity have an influence on your career path? And how is it that you started to play the flute? Well, it started to quite, uh, it's, it's a quite funny story. So when I was a kid, I could hear my neighbor from Hungary, it's a family, very nice family. It was in Turkey. Uh, her name is Anita. She's uh, also in Germany now. Oh. And I was so inspired by her. I could listen when she practices and I asked my mom to buy me a flute. So that's the cheesy story. <laughs> <laughs> How I started to play the flute and she gave me the... She bought the, as a present for the new year, flute for me, and that's how actually it started. But I was really curious about cello, though. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, unfortunately, didn't happen for me. <laughs> it was too big. Well, you know the joke. Um, people are always telling us cellists, like, you know, when we're carrying a cello in the station, and they say, yeah. "Don't you wish you played the flute?" <laughs> but then apparently, a friend of mine, he was riding in a bus with his friend who yeah. was a flutist and he said, you know, like, I almost missed the bus because I spent like 45 minutes looking for my piccolo. <laughs> and the guy said, don't you wish you played you the cello? cello. <laughs> exactly. So, anyway. <laughs> Definitely. Well, sometimes I wish I played cello. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And um, we've talked a little bit about your quintet. Can you tell me um, where the name is from? And also, I believe there are quite a few cultures in that ensemble. Oh, yes, with a big pleasure. <laughs> so uh, the quintet called is Pacific, Pacific Quintet. And it, the name comes because, um, because we met the festival, which is called Pacific Music Festival. Oh. It's in Japan, in Sapporo, Hokkaido Island. It's a wonderful place. And um, finally, we all met in 2017 there. And by by the luck, we are all now in Germany. So um, I would say we almost come from different continents, almost. So the countries are me. Don't know how to <laughs> how to say, but the, for the people who listen from the beginning, they will know what to <laughs> me. Me. Then um, our clarinet player, she comes from Germany, Liana Lesman, and um, then horn player, she is from South Korea. Heri, Heriyo, and then uh, Kenichi Furuya, he comes from Japan, and uh, our oboe player comes from Honduras, wow. Fernando Martins, yes. So it's a really big mixture, and um, we communicate, we speak uh, German and English, we mix, and um, but still it's... Um, even though we are so different, we are ex everyone is so, so different, we somehow find the communication and uh, the most important thing in general uh, for the chamber music, I think personally, that if you like person with who you play, then it works. <laughs> and um, this is how it works for me. I think we all like, I hope we all like <laughs> each other. <laughs> and, um, and that's why also it works very good for us and... Um, just with the communication, we just feel very comfortable with each other. Yeah. We recently spent uh, 24 hours, 7 days a week uh, in Düsseldorf, it was last month. And uh, it just feels great because, of course, in every relationship you will have uh, work or any kind of relationship, some moments where you could argue, but uh, when you can manage it softly and uh, just find, try to find solution, but not just like speak about, uh, okay, let's do this way or just try to 
improve but try to find a um, solution then it works very good so somehow we always try to find a solution and mm. uh, be in balance with each other yeah. and uh, it's really really great to play with them it's wow. a really big pleasure for me that's great and I think another thing that's really cool about playing classical music is that of course there's the part where you're communicating because you're speaking in, in the rehearsal but then there's the yeah. part where you're communicating and you're on stage together exactly and definitely definitely really special to have the spice and the sparkles in the air yes yeah, <laughs> yeah. speaking of language communication though do you find that Russian is helpful in the classical music world and what about Turkish um, well it's helpful when you when you have people around who speaks Turkish with the musicians to communicate, but in general I wouldn't say it's a helpful language. Mm -hmm. Russian, um, maybe Russian a bit more, just because the, the country is also bigger. <laughs> <laughs> and I know many uh, Russian musicians, I would say I know more Russian musicians than Turkish yeah. ones. Um, maybe just because I also grown up um, and spent a lot of time in Russia and my main musical education was there. Um, so definitely I would say Russian is quite helpful, yes. I know I've been in situations in which I wish I spoke Russian yeah, in the classical music, definitely. because especially a lot of former Soviet countries. Exactly, up, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And do you ever find that you are in a role in which you are kind of helping connect people and connect understanding and help people understand one another? Um, well, I wish actually. Uh, it's a very nice, uh, it could be a very nice, I hope, because as I mentioned before, uh, our quintet, sometimes uh, we are trying to explain to each other and it's nice to be like the, hmm. the one who tries to communicate, yeah. the, tr the one who tries to find the, the middle uh, to provide the, you know, the understanding. And to understand exactly, connection. yes, the connection, yeah, but... Um, yeah, there are situations, certainly, where I feel like I'm, mm. you know, in a way, trying to, to, to try to make understand people. Mm -hmm. I think so, yes. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> and in terms of politics, I think a lot of times there are political parties that hinge on people feeling like they know exactly who they are. Talking about politics and everything, the really important thing what I want to mention it's for me it's such a sad and uh, it's difficult thing to see what's going on in Ukraine right now and um, I cannot believe then that in the 21st century still um, people can make this kind of fight and so many people suffer and um, I think that in Europe um, it's not so often like not so many people speak about it also on the newspaper I see so much political stuff about Turkey well of course it's also because of the uh, so many people uh, in Germany Turkish people yes. but I find that it's such a pity and uh, it's very sad that it's not so much they're speaking about uh, Ukrainian the situation right right now there mm. and it's very tough and very difficult situation there and uh, I feel very sorry and sad about it seeing that it can happen um, the country goes like in a two ways uh, nowadays it just really breaks my heart and I can see it 
really from the inside because I'm speaking every day with my grandfather. He is 90 years old, but he can use Skype, luckily. Ah. So I'm having everyday Skype calls with my grandfather and I, I see what's going on really inside of the country and it's very sad. Uh, on the other hand, I also, um, of course, look what's going on in Russia or Turkey and uh, well, the situation is not so calm nowadays everywhere where the countries I just said about yeah but um, what makes me more sad is the situation in Ukraine yeah 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 and is there anything else that you specifically wanted to talk about or mention that is important to you mm, yeah I would say that um, in a way, it feels very good that I consider so many countries as my home and I'm not so extremely uh, speaking about, okay, I'm just from here and proudly just from here. So it makes me feel like I am a human of the just like this world and uh, it makes me feel very good and comfortable on one hand. Well, of course, sometimes I feel like, okay, but where is exactly my home? And then it comes to my mind, okay, probably home is where my mom is. Mm -hmm. So uh, the general feeling that I am just a human, human being in this world, uh, it makes me feel good and uh, more connected to any kind of nationalities, any kind of people, and uh, makes me feel comfortable. Yeah. Well, thank you. I have one final question that I always like to end this with, which is that some of the people who might be listening um, might be your friends, your family, might be people who love this podcast. Hi! <laughs> <laughs> but some people who might be listening, and this is one of the reasons why we opened up this space, are people who are in a relationship with someone who's very different from them. And for that reason, um, since I suppose in a way that is your parents, but also it reflects um, more broadly the way you were brought up, is there any advice that you would have for people who have young children or about to have children in a country different from when they were born or with a person who's different from them? Definitely what I would say, language is very important. So I saw some families where um, mom and dad from different countries, but um, they kept speaking just one language, mm. which is I find such a shame because the, the kids they um, also should learn both languages. I think this is very important uh, because I already have some friends who are just speaking one language and I find it such a shame. So to keep both languages and um, not mix between. Uh, so basically if mom is from one country, she speaks only this language with yeah. the kid and the same from the dad. And uh, if they're in a third country where it's completely different language, the kid can also learn it from the school and friends. So this is very, very, very important because then um, kids regret and they, um, I mean, it's very important to keep the language alive. And the other thing is, um, first of all, I also I find it such a great combination that you can learn two languages um, just from your childhood, not because you learn it, but just because it's so naturally and someone speaks to you. And for the kids it's much easier to learn something rather than for the adults. And um, yeah, to keep this uh, balance and never forget your language. Language is the main thing. Yeah. I language is everything. La language is the soul of the of the person. Yeah. Wow. Well, 
I really enjoyed this conversation. <laughs> I hope there weren't too many birds. Thank um, you, Natanya. <laughs> sounds. But thank you very much, Alia. Thank you so much, Natanya. <laughs> the Extra Half is created and produced by a small but dedicated team. Thanks to Zylvanas Plasauskas, who's doing the editing and who created, performed, and recorded the original music you're hearing right now. Thanks to Jessamine Jones, the graphic designer behind our logo, and all of the images associated with the podcast. If you'd like to get involved, you can just log on to anchor.fm slash the extra half, and feel free to send us a voice message directly from the site with questions, comments, or suggestions on what we can do in the future. And if you know someone who you think would be a good fit for the podcast, by all means, just let us know. Also, please rate and review this podcast, and you can find us on Facebook and on Instagram. Next time, we'll be speaking with Brendan Garbeau, whose parents were both born in the U.S., but are of European and Japanese origins, respectively. We talk about what that means and doesn't mean in terms of identity and worldview. I'm Natanya Hoffman. You've been listening to The Extra Half. Take care. Until next time.